Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, Tuesday, two days in a row. We are back rolling with the Bama on three show. How you feeling this morning, man? Great. I'm I I, I wake up excited about the mailbag. This is uh, our best show every week. Completely agree because it's not run. I mean, it is run by us, but it's the, the content is not dictated by us. It's not what we think you want to hear. It's what you want to hear. If you got a question, you want it to get answered. Um, that's what we're here for. And we've like always, we got several, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four. We got five questions and knowing how long winded we are, we're going to have to, uh, make sure that we try to keep that under 40 minutes. We went a little over 40 yesterday, but you know what? Jake is doing bigger and better things. He's no longer, uh, producing or helping produce our podcast. And so I, we can do what we want. Let's go for six hours, man. Let's just uh, take an hour for each question, go for five plus hours. And then at the end, we'll just, you know, ramble on, make it to six. Like it's no big, I could do it. I don't know about you, Jimmy, but I could. Uh, I know, I know that I easily could. Uh, I think everybody just needs to, to pour themselves a, uh, a big old tall drink and uh, listen to us ramble. 930 on a Tuesday morning. I'm loving it. It's it, man. It's championship week. I don't care that it's next Monday. Don't come at me with that. It's championship week. We're just extending it out for another couple of days, but we do got a lot of great questions and we're going to go ahead and just dive right in because otherwise we'll go an hour plus on this. But, uh, Caleb Lambert on Twitter asked any reason we know of that Holden was seemingly sat out in favor of Baker on Saturday. I thought I saw him on special teams, but not on offense after having a considerable role there this year yeah well i think the easy there's an easy answer and that's just that per coach wiggins and coach o'brien and coach saban that baker has passed him up i mean uh they practice five days a week that's not like the coaches only see them during the games there's all sorts of things they do um during the week and and compete and if, if a kid is not playing it's because someone else is ahead of him unless Holden is injured, and if that's the case, that's unknown to me. Uh, I, I, I've never heard that. It could could very well be. There's there's no way for 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 me and Clint to know absolutely everything that's going on inside that locker room. But I don't believe Holden is hurt. I believe Baker and uh, and and Brooks have just passed him up uh, on the depth chart. And and I'll say this: I'm not saying Treshawn Holden is is transferring. There there's no way I would know that. I would just say that. I just have a personal expectation that a few or a couple of wide receivers on the depth chart are very likely to hit the portal. We're just kind of crowded there and not everyone gets to play. And uh, I I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, a couple of kids in the portal from that position. But, but my answer to the question is that, uh, Hey, if Holden's not playing and Baker is that uh, Baker is just ahead of him on the pecking order. Yeah. And, I think Baker was dealing with some stuff. I think he might have been in a little bit of trouble earlier in the year. 
and you know he he was a very talented player uh it had shown a lot i think it was what it was back before last season when he was a true freshman he was getting a lot of buzz in, in training camp or, or uh preseason camp or uh fall camp i guess is what you call it in college I always end up calling it what they call it in the nfl but uh and that happens i mean he he had a good fall camp alabama was loaded at receiver didn't get to have the impact that he wanted to but the coaching staff didn't forget about him it's kind of very darian dalcourt-esque um where you know when he's ready to contribute and he's ready to do the things that he needs to do he's a good enough player i, I don't think that this is really a knock on holding i think is that baker has just done what he needed to do to get back in the good graces of the coaching staff and get his role or see his role increased and so you know that's just how it is but you're talking about alabama's receivers the, the group being pretty loaded, uh, you're right. And, you know, I'd heard some rumblings that maybe they were looking to add a receiver in the transfer portal with experience because, you know, it's possible they could lose Jamison Williams and it's possible they could lose John Mechie. But from a talent standpoint, they'd be completely fine. But from an experience standpoint, you'd have Slade Bolden. And, you know, you wouldn't have too much beyond that if a guy like Treshawn Holden, who had been kind of, you know, seeing a lot of playing time, if he did end up entering the transfer portal, then you've left yourself with really one experienced wide receiver. But what I think has happened is with John Medjie getting hurt and then, you know, Jamison Williams getting ejected in the Iron Bowl, you get to see some Ja'Cory Brooks. He's getting some valuable game experience. He's proving that he can be a high-level receiver, you know, moving forward. Now you've got Ja'Cory Brooks with quite a bit of experience down the stretch in big games. You've got Slade Bolden with a lot of uh, playing experience just from his time at Alabama. And I think that's a pretty good place to start. And I, now I think that they, JoJo Earl's got some experience there. You know, Javon Baker's got some experience. So now I think they're starting to be more become more confident. And I'm not entirely sure that they even add a receiver out of the portal at this point. I, you know, I think that Ja'Cory Brooks's emergence and, and him getting on the field and proving that he can be a reliable guy next year, I think that's a great place to start. And then you can start relying on the talent and developing it behind the scenes. Now, I'm not going to guarantee that. I'm just saying that, you know, what the coaching staff's views on the position were a month ago and what they are now is probably somewhat different. Um, next question is from the Hypes Man Award on Twitter. He asks, what is the target for passing yards for both teams to pull off the W in the national championship? What do we need from B-Rob? In terms of – so, so the question is, how, what, how many yards does Alabama need to throw for and what do we expect from B-Rob? Correct. And then also from Stetson Bennett in Georgia. Uh-uh. Well, I, I think the game's going to play out much differently. I, I, I don't think Alabama's going to enter the Georgia game with, with, with a plan that even remotely resembles the Cincinnati plan, which was obviously, hey, we can beat these guys by running the ball. Let's not overthink things. I think with Georgia, you do have to overthink things. You have to go back to the first game and determine, okay, what worked really well that they couldn't stop? Okay, and, and that has to be in the game plan. Whatever was working, keep doing that. What didn't work, what didn't work, because they're just too good, take that out. And then thirdly, add a wrinkle, uh, something new, something they didn't see the first game, something that they're not preparing for, something that, that you, you can sort of surprise them with, something that they're going to have to make an in-game adjustment to. Uh, and that'll be the most interesting thing to me. Uh, I do think... Look, in, in terms, I know I know Heitzman wants some yardage numbers, and I'll just say that I think B-Rob will rush for something approaching 100 yards. I, I don't think he'll pass the 100-yard mark against Georgia. I just think they're, they're just too good. But B-Rob can really help us if he has 80 or 90, and then Trey Sanders can add 20 or 30, 
that that would be very helpful. But to me, it's a point thing, and uh, I'm still struggling on how I'm going to pick this game in terms of who I think is going to win and what the score will be. But to answer Hypesman's question, I'm going to answer with points and not yards. But uh, to me, the the magic number is 24, which is what Georgia scored the first time around. In my mind, this game is a race to above 24 points. The winner will score above it. The loser will score below it. Uh, But I do think both teams will be close to that number. I personally, if I'm Alabama, I'm looking at about 28 to 30 points. Uh, if Alabama can score 28 to 30, and they certainly did the first time, they scored 41, but they scored 28 to 30, I think the defense can win the game from there. Here's the thing. First of all, when you're talking about passing yardage, you know I don't think there's any number that either team has to hit necessarily, but I, I think it's more important I think where Stetson Bennett was at, whether you're talking about against Michigan, he threw for 310 yards. He had three touchdowns. He also threw for 300 and what was it? 40 yards against Alabama and three touchdowns. The difference or a big difference in those two games are the two interceptions. It wasn't the passing yardage. I think that when he crosses that 300 threshold, I don't think he needs to, I think they need him to do more, you know, than throwing for 220 yards or 240 or 250. I think he needs to probably be at 300 plus if I had to guess. And then that touchdown, you know, three against Alabama, three against Michigan needs to kind of keep that going because I think Alabama's run defense is set up and we'll get into that in just a second, but it's the, the avoiding the interceptions did that against Michigan and he put his offense in a lot better position to have success over the course of four quarters. Now, granted, they took a lot of pressure off him early by having a lot of success and establishing a lead, even though I guess they got a 10 point lead against Alabama as well. But for Bryce Young, um, I, I think it's in, in some ways more the same. And, and here's where, where I struggle. And I'll go ahead and, and, and kind of bring in this other question, too, because it kind of relates and, and it really will add, allow us to really dive into this conversation. But before I do, this is why, in my opinion, it's so difficult to beat a team twice. If you're Alabama, and I'm not saying uh, this is just using them as examples, not saying this is going to be the approach. But if you're Alabama, what you did the first go around worked pretty darn well against Georgia. And so your approach going into this game is, well, I mean, if we throw, if we completely overhaul our game plan to kind of, you know, head off anything that they might change to compensate and that change game plan does not work, people are going to question, well, why did you change up what would work the first go around? But if you don't do that, Georgia's over here looking at everything that you've done well, and they're trying to figure out ways to stop it. I think that one of the big issues that Georgia had in that game against Alabama is they, they really were confident in their front four's ability to get after Bryce Young. They didn't think they were going to have to get creative with pressure packages. They thought we got talent up front. Their offensive line has struggled for pretty much the entire year. They've been very inconsistent. Well, you just watch what they did in the Iron Bowl. We feel like we can just line up and beat them. They were very wrong. For whatever reason, Alabama's offensive line decided to be Joe Moore Award-esque in that SEC championship, and I don't think Georgia was prepared they're going to be more prepared and more creative in how they attack and try to put pressure on Bryce Young. That is how you affect Alabama's offense. And so with, if you're Alabama, you can't just say, we're just going to do what we did last time. But at the same time, you know, you need to add wrinkles and stuff. But I think it's more important that you understand. It's like you said, you're trying to add those wrinkles, but you're also trying to take the things that you did well and be able to continue to do those. Now, the, the next question is from Tommy on Instagram, and he asked, what will Alabama do differently in this game? Or will they change anything up from last time? So, Jimmy, I'll let you answer that, and then I'll hop in. 
Yeah, sort of did in the last question. I think you have to. That, that you, you can't treat this like it's the, the fifth quarter of the first game and, and, and things haven't changed. Things have changed. The team always changes. A college football team changes week to week. Uh, but, but the main thing is you, Georgia is spending – Georgia has a little extra time to practice. Georgia is clearly going to spend a ton of time practicing on what they saw the first time around. Uh, the way that you defeat that is by doing something new. You have to do something new. Look, Alabama's been here before. It was 10 years ago. Really, only Nick Saban and Jeff Allen are still around from the 2011 time when, when Alabama played LSU a second time. And Alabama didn't drastically change from the first matchup to the second, but they were able to win the second one because they did make some changes on offense, played a little differently, played a little better, which allowed them to win the game. I think Bill O'Brien, one of the things I'm going to uh, talk about a lot this week, Clint, is Bill O'Brien. This is where we, we have a good advantage. Bill O'Brien himself has been in the NFL for eight years. They play the same opponent twice, three times a year. Uh, Bill O'Brien has done this often. Uh, I pointed out on, on the board last night, I, I just used, I just found quickly, I didn't research the whole thing, but I found quickly, you know, the Colts and Titans have played twice this year and the Titans did win both games, but they won the first game and uh, it, it wasn't even close. They won the first game by double digits. The second time they played, they went to overtime uh, and just barely won by a field goal. Uh, and, and I use that to say that, look, the games will play out differently. It won't be a carbon copy of the first game. That doesn't even happen in the NFL where these rematches happen all the time. The game will play out differently. Uh, and part of that is because the teams change uh, and they change by doing something a little different. Now, in terms of what Alabama is going to do different, all we can really do is guess. I think a lot of Alabama fans are going to guess we're going to run the ball a little bit more because we had such success on the ground against Cincinnati. I don't think that's the case at all. I think the run pass ratio is going to be somewhat similar to what we saw in the first game. I think what's going to be different is the routes Alabama's running and sort of the game plan there uh, in, in, in terms of who they're throwing it to, where they're throwing it to them on the field. Uh, I think that might look a little different, uh, but I'll also say uh, what I'll stress uh, finally is uh, I talked about this the first game and I was right. I'm going to double down on it because I think it's going to be even more often than it was the first time. But I think a real key to this game is Bryce's legs. I, I think Bryce's legs will be part of the plan. Uh, it's been a last resort all season long. I, I think it's part of the plan against Georgia is make uh, allow Bryce to make positive plays with his legs, both extending plays and running running down the field, design quarterback runs or encouraging Bryce to run quicker when his uh, first read is covered. I love, first of all, I completely agree with Brian Robinson, which was going to be kind of my point. He asked, what do we need from, from Brian Robinson? That was the second part of the hype man's awards question. I completely agree. And, and here's why. If you're Alabama, what you did the first go around, you got to think, where is Georgia's strongest? You know, their, their pass rush is not fantastic. I mean, it's been productive. Don't get me wrong. It's certainly up there, you know, but they don't have a dominant pass rusher. And then you look at their secondary, and I think that their secondary, when you look at their defense, is probably the most exploitable part of their defense. And I'm not saying that it's bad. It's actually pretty darn good. 
The linebacker play is fantastic. The defensive front, that play outside of the pass rush is fantastic. Look at Michigan. They're a predominantly run first team. They didn't have any success against Georgia, and their entire game plan was completely shut down. What I worry about with Alabama is now that Brian Robinson Jr. is healthy, they might approach this game and look at what happened against Cincinnati and say, hey, we can rely a lot more on Brian Robinson in this game. I think it needs to be more of the same in that regard where you say, let's just do enough with Brian Robinson to keep Georgia honest. But we're able to throw the football the first go around. And granted, if you do that, you've got to expect your offensive line to be able to hold up. Does Alabama believe that they will for a second game? Highly doubt they're going to exit uh, next Monday with a second consecutive game against Georgia without allowing one sack. Highly doubt that. But I also do believe that they can still have a productive performance against the Bulldogs. And that's if you're Alabama, that's what you're hoping for. But you don't need to go in saying, hey, let's, you know, give Brian Robinson, you know, 25 carries because he's now healthy and we need to bring balance. I think that those 25 carries, I mean, again, Cincinnati's 335 defense, that, you know, that's what you need to do. That's how you exploit it. But Georgia's got a defensive front where those plays are in a lot of ways, and I could be wrong. But, you know, I think it's more so just trying to keep Georgia's defense honest. And that's really the only purpose that it's serving. And I don't think you need to run the ball 25-plus times to be able to do that, or 40-plus times if you include Trey Sanders and Brian Robinson's carries against Cincinnati. So if you're Alabama, you know, the other aspect of this, too, and defensively, I don't think you're going to change up too much. Um, I think you do need to add some of those wrinkles. But the overall goal should be the same. It's something that – you know, other teams have not been able to achieve against Georgia, and it's something that Michigan was not able to achieve against Georgia, and that is stopping their run game against uh, Michigan. Now, granted, they gave a lot of different guys, you know, touches, you know, running the football, but they ran for 190 yards uh, as a group, and against Alabama, they barely rushed for over 100. Uh, they didn't have a lot of success on the ground. They forced more of the game on a Stetson Bennett shoulders and he did not respond well. When you're running the football extremely well like they were they were against Michigan and they have at other game, you know, points in the season, that's where you get the best Stetson Bennett. So if you're Alabama, you say, okay, we stop their run, and then we also don't let – because Alabama's run defense is ranked number two in the country. It's actually ranked ahead of, of Georgia right now. They've done a great job sure. at – you know, this defense in general has just done a phenomenal job of stepping up and being much better than people give them credit for, but – you know, I, I think that if you're Alabama, it's stopping their run game, forcing the game on Stetson Bennett's shoulders once again. And then if you're Alabama, it's it's not getting too committed to your run game just because Brian Robinson Jr. is healthy. It's looking at it from the last game and saying, hey, we're going to feel more confident when we do hand him the football because he's 100% healthy and we know we're going to get standard Brian Robinson. But I don't think you change too much as far as the carry distribution. You know, he had 16 carries against – Georgia in the SEC championship, I'd probably have it, you know, 16, 18, maybe 20 at the absolute max. I would not be pushing 25, 30 touches or 30 carries for Brian Robinson. And then also you talk about Bryce Young's legs, three carries for 40 yards and a touchdown in the first half against Georgia. They really had gotten a lot of momentum by the end of the first half and really didn't utilize his legs a lot in the second half. In this particular game, there is no tomorrow. You know, if, if Bryce gets a little banged up because you ran him just a little bit more and he's a little bit more sore, there, he, he's going to have plenty of time to heal before spring training starts. So I think that you're going to be able to use his legs and be more confident in using his legs because there's not a game the following week. Um, there's not a game two weeks from then, three weeks, four weeks. Uh, so I, I think that we talk about limiting Brian Robinson's carries. I think you got to get Bryce Young closer, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten carries, ten, uh, you know, allowing him to run the football you know, closer to that. 
and I think that you'll have some success. And, and having both of those two players, if, if Brian Robinson could kind of be an efficient toucher with his carries and, and you know make the most of his opportunities, and Bryce Young can do the same both on the ground, I think Alabama's run game could be fairly effective. But that would be my approach. I would do something. I would just throw in that I, I think it's imperative that Alabama do something new. There's 14 games on tape. There's four, it, anything that we've done before Georgia has seen either in person or on tape. I would love if we did something totally new. It's, it's so not Nick Saban to do this. So I'm not predicting it in any way because predicting Nick Saban to change his, uh, his, his spots, <laughs> his colors, this, uh, this late in his career. But uh, what I'm sort of talking about is how great would it be to have like a Milrow RPO package that we just throw in there that Georgia hasn't seen all year that we've practiced sort of all year that we really started emphasizing and practice this week and, and send Jayla Milrow out there to run a handful of RPO plays that Georgia hasn't seen from Alabama in 2021. That's the sort of thing I think you need. Uh, and, and again, we don't have to do that. I don't expect to do that, but it's, 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 it's what, what I would like to see some sort of wrinkle, something new, that we've practiced, that we feel good about, that Georgia is like, what the hell is this? Um, and, and I think you need that when you're playing a really good team for a second time. A hundred percent. So it's like we've we've can kind of cap it off, I guess you'd say. There's a balance here between doing what has worked and continuing to do that and finding yep. something new to catch yep. Georgia off guard. And you've exactly. got to master that balance. You know, if, if they're able to do that, I think Alabama wins the football game. I really do. If they can't do that, if they get too much into what they did last time and Georgia's prepared for it and they don't have nearly the same amount of success, I think Alabama might be in trouble. If they, you know, try to throw in too much and get away from what they did well the last time and it's not successful, I think Alabama's in trouble. So find that right balance that is very important, especially offensively. Defensively, same thing, but I think offensively, I think Alabama can have or really has the advantage, in my opinion, with the way that they've been playing defensively. I think they have the advantage over Georgia with their defense versus Georgia's offense, where I think Alabama needs to make sure that they're staying ahead is Georgia's defense is really, really good, and they weren't very good against Alabama in the first matchup, and they're going to be much better prepared this go-around and how they attack Bryce Young, how they attack the passing game, how they attack the offense in general. So, you know, speaking of which – you know, you talk about Alabama's defense going against Georgia's offense. One of the big areas that they could not stop when it came to the Bulldogs was Brock Bowers. Ten catches for 139 yards and a touchdown on 16 targets. That is a lot of targets. I mean, I want to say that that is exactly 33.3% of, of the target share uh, for a tight end, a true freshman tight end. Dynamic player Nick Saban talked about him. But Tucker Seal on Twitter asked, can you and Jimmy give us what either of you two would do to contain Brock Bowers and or what you think the coaching staff may game plan for Bowers? Well, first of all, tight ends and, and, and Bowers, the ultimate example of that, they can be the ultimate uh, mismatch weapon. Uh, it, you know, football's a size speed sport. The tight ends are, are much bigger than cornerbacks and, and out physical them. They're much faster than linebackers. Uh, you know, generally, and I'm talking about the best with the best tight ends. It's just an, a really tough mismatch. I mean, really, the best chance you have is to, you know, cover him with a safety. Uh, even let's say Jordan Battle, who might be our best safety, you know, he's still outweighed by, you know, 35 pounds, you know, by Brock Bowers, not to mention he's not quite as tall. Uh, 
it, it's a really tough match. Uh, I, I, I would just guess uh, Alabama would show a little more zone maybe and not necessarily depend on a man to cover Brock Bowers so much as, you know, you just kind of contain him by, uh, by playing zone. I know this, Alabama will be giving him a lot of attention. Nick Saban was asked about Brock Bowers yesterday in his press conference. Nick Saban talked about Brock Bowers in the way that, uh, that NFL defensive coordinators talked about Jerry Rice in the 80s. Uh, <laughs> Saban praised Brock Bowers almost unlike I've ever heard him praise an opposing player ever. That tells me that Alabama is spending considerable time uh, on Brock Bowers. I, I think a goal for Alabama would be, hey, if he has, you know, nine catches for 100 yards, we did a great job. And, 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 and that's to, uh, you know, uh, allow or acknowledge he's going to have catches, he's going to have yards. What you don't want is him having a 180-yard game and multiple touchdowns or big play touchdowns. That's what you have to take away because if he has that, you probably lose the game. But uh, I, I know this. I, I'm not uh, an expert enough to, to, to know how to defend a Brock Bowers. I would just guess a zone because Alabama doesn't have the one player that's clearly the guy that covers Bowers. I mean, you know, it could be Battle. It could be Helms. But, but you know, and, and they will – we will be in man some of the time, and they will have that, that responsibility. But – I just don't think you can cover Bowers, Bowers with one guy. So it makes sense to me to maybe play a little more conservative in the middle of the field, play man outside on the receivers uh, and, and, and more of a cover two, uh, you know, cover three type thing where there's multiple safeties over the top to kind of keep Bowers from, from making a big play. But that's, that, that's my uh, amateur defensive coordinator opinion. The problem is, is that Brock Bowers is an, uh, a matchup nightmare. Absolutely. And do you match the size when you're covering him uh, or do you match the athleticism? Because it's very difficult to do both. You know, do you play man or do you go zone? Uh, do you press him or do you play five to seven yards off the line of scrimmage? You know, he can exploit both. The reason that he's so difficult to defend is that he plays every position. You know, he can play the X, he can play the Y, he can play the Z, he can move to uh, be the move tight end, he can be the inline tight end. And Georgia does a fantastic job of creating and manufacturing opportunities for him, you know, reverses, screens, you know, it's not just your standard stuff for a tight end, you know, it's not just, you know, busting, you know, defenses down the seam as a, as a very athletic tight end. He can do a lot of different things for you. And when you have a versatile tight end like that, it's a lot more difficult to defend because it, you have a lot harder time of locating him with a receiver. There's only so many places a receiver is going to be able to go. But with Brock Bowers, you can use him, you know, like I said, as an inline blocking tight end, as a move tight end, as a, you know, the big slot, as a perimeter receiver. And so I think the number one thing that Alabama needs to do is make sure that they know where Brock Bowers is lined up on every single snap. And they need to have a plan for it because how where he's lined up is going to dictate how they defend him, right? You know, if he's lined up as a perimeter receiver, you're going to see some Kool-Aid McKinstry. You might see some Kyrie Jackson. I think Kyrie is a – he's such an unknown, but from a physicality standpoint, from a size – physicality, speed, I think he actually matches up pretty well from that aspect. We just don't know. There's still a lot of unknowns with Kyrie Jackson, but, you know, he's 6'3", he's 197 pounds, a little lean, but plays extremely physical. He has a lot of athleticism. He has the versatility to play corner or safety. 
I think that's the kind of player that could end up having some success against Brock Bowers. I don't know necessarily if that will be what they do. Now, if they if he's a perimeter receiver, very much uh, it is very possible that he's one of the guys covering him. Obviously, Cooley will be as well. But I think it's going to be a team effort. Uh, I think Jordan Battle is going to be covering him at times. I think Brian Branch in the slot. Brian Branch is probably going to be covering him a lot. You know, Christian Harris at times kind of struggled to cover tight ends, but he's got the the height and the the weight and the the strength. And the overall athleticism, I wouldn't say he's as athletic as Brock Bowers. What's incredible about Bowers is how athletic he really is and how what his speed is for the position at being 6'4", 230 pounds. The best approach is going to be to put pressure on Stetson Bennett, first of all. Yeah. You know, the less time he has to throw, the better. Force Georgia to only get Bowers involved in the short, you know, quick type of routes. Don't let him get any long developing stuff downfield because he has the – the ability he did it against uh, Michigan in the, the semifinal game. Do not let him have the ability to, to press you downfield. If you need to bracket him by doing some zone stuff, you know, have a single high safety over the top, you know, with inside leverage, have a guy, you know, playing the outside, being an outside defender on the short to intermediate stuff. Personally, I would not press him. I think he's way too big, way too athletic. You know, that combination to, to really play him in press consistently, I'd kind of play a little bit off and mirror him. But it's 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 like you said, it's more of a matter of limiting him, not stopping him. If you come out of this game, and yeah, I would say that seven, eight, nine catches uh, for 100 yards and without a touchdown, I think that's a pretty big win for Alabama because I think he is a huge portion of their offense. So if that's all he gets, I think Georgia's offense in general is not going to get a ton. So he's a very difficult guy to defend. You, you say stopping him, I, I say limiting him. That, that should be the goal going in because I don't think you're going to stop him for four quarters. But I do think Alabama's got a good mixture of guys who can create issues. And the fact they have a good pass rush and you got Dallas Turner and Fedarian Mathis and Will Anderson, um, they can end up putting some pressure on Stetson Bennett and, you know, not allowing him to make some of those easy throws that he had, you know, in the, in the first game and then tackle. You know, whenever he catches the football, that's going to happen. But the number one thing is making sure that you bring him down and you get him tackled. All right, the last question that we're going to be talking about is Roll Tide VP on Twitter asked, special teams tight ends coach, what's the thoughts on his recruiting and coaching this year? I know he came in after the normal hiring cycle. That affected things. Um, you know, he was bought in specifically because of his extensive ties in Texas. Um, you know, this is a guy that knows the Houston area really well. And, uh you know, you can just look at the, 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 the list of signees and see if you think Alabama did well in Texas or not. Uh, that would be part of the mind. He didn't have the full recruiting calendar. Uh, he did get there late. Uh, this is just year one. He hadn't worked for Nick Saban in the past. I, I personally, myself, I don't jump to any big conclusions one way or the other about Coach Svoboda, uh, whether he did great or not. I, I just look at his positions he's responsible for. And overall, I think he did really well with the tight ends. Uh, Billingsley didn't have the season we hoped. I think we all know some of that was a little bit off the field. Uh, Latu was fantastic. I mean, under Spoboda, Latu has sort of completed his transformation from defense to tight end. And I think proved that uh, he's on, on the uh, upper end you know, if you're going to list the, the best tight ends in the SEC, he wouldn't be number one, but he'd be closer to the top than the bottom. Um, I, I think Latu has become a uh, quality SEC tight end, and you have to give Svoboda some, uh, some, some praise there for that. 
He also, of course, coaches all the tight ends. And Robbie Oost, before he was hurt, was making a contribution, as well as Kendall Randolph, who's sort of the designated blocking tight end, apparently does pretty well. And again, Billingsley uh, can be a difference maker. And uh, he made the huge fourth down catch uh, earlier this year against Auburn. So I think coaching tight ends, I would give him a positive review, uh, not glowing, but positive. And, uh, you know, he coaches the special teams. Uh, that's a little different for, for me. I know other fans may look at that differently. But to me, a special teams coach coaching a punter and coaching a kicker, uh, you know, it's kind of like, do you guys think that Coach Sewell on the golf team teaches our golfers, you know, their short iron game? No, they all have private coaches at home who are specialists when it comes to that. That's who teaches them to swing the golf club, not Coach Sewell. I sort of look at special teams coaches the same way. He's not teaching James Burnham how to punt. He's not teaching Will Reichard how to kick. They have their own personal private coaches that, that have taught them those things. But he is responsible for special teams as a whole and coverage units, returns. I think overall, Alabama's coverage and the returns have been pretty good. Not spectacular, but pretty good. So pretty good is the word I would use to describe how I see the job that Drew Svoboda has done. Pretty good, considering he didn't have the full calendar. Maybe it's even better than that. As, as to whether I expect him back next year, that's really a completely who knows type thing. Uh, I do think there will be turnover on the coaching staff as usual, probably more than we expect. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't even want to speculate as to whether he would be back. I almost don't want to speculate as to almost anyone because any of the 10 could leave uh, because Alabama's coaches always get better opportunities offered to them. Uh, there was a report yesterday widely circulated, even by on three sports, that uh, Jay Valai is being targeted by Oklahoma and is expected to be at Oklahoma. Uh, I bet you one month ago, not many Alabama fans gave much thought to Jay Valai leaving, and we found out yesterday that's a very high likelihood. So you just don't really know with the staff stuff. But overall, off the cuff, I would say Svoboda has been uh, pretty good. I agree with you. You know, I, I wouldn't say that he's been a home run by any means, but I think he's been solid. Alabama's tight ends is like, I think you did a pretty good job of breaking those guys down. You know, I think Jaleel Billingsley fell well short of expectations. I think a lot more of that falls on Jaleel Billingsley than it does any sort of coaching. But, you know, he's that 6'4", 230-pound, you know, athletic move tight end, kind of a Brock Bowers type. And you that's where you can say, okay, when you look at the production, now granted, Brock Bowers is a completely different level of player. But when you look at statistics and things like that, Jaleel Billingsley is the kind of guy who should probably be up there in the 35, 40 catches range. Probably should be pushing 500 receiving yards, you know, 5, 550, 600, and, you know, seven, eight touchdowns. And when you look at his statistics this year for Alabama, he's under 20 catches. He's only got 17, 256 yards, and three touchdowns. Now he is averaging 15 point, you know, just over 15 yards per catch. So that's not bad on a per catch average, but he's had some pretty bad drops. He has not been the player that a lot of people thought he was going to be. But I don't think that's a lack of development. I think that that's more so of, you know, he just got this season off on the wrong foot. And so far, he hadn't really recovered too much. As far as Cameron Latou is concerned, he's more of your bigger, you know, inline guy, has been a good blocker for Alabama. When you look at his statistics, 21 catches for 308 yards and seven touchdowns, that's a lot more in line with what you would be looking for. And he's almost averaging 15 yards a catch as well, 14.67 yards per catch when you look at guys like Jalen Watermeyer the tight end for Texas A&M who everybody has been high on for several years now 
he's typically, you know, in that 40 to 50 catch range, just over 500 yards. And, you know, I think he's had four touchdowns this season. He had six last year. I think he might've had six the year before. So from a touchdown perspective, um, don't get me wrong. Uh, when you look at Latou, I mean, he's barely over 300 yards. So he's still some ways off the yardage mark, but there's a lot more mouths to feed in Alabama's passing game. And a huge chunk of the, the offense has been built around Jamison Williams and John Mechie for a majority of the season. So I think that Latou has been great. He had a little bit of a lull there um, where he didn't, you know, he had some, some pretty bad drops and he didn't perform quite as well, but he's bounced back nicely. And I think he's doing a lot of good things for Alabama's offense. And I really think if he chooses to come back, that they're going to be have one of the best returning tight ends, definitely in the SEC and maybe in college football. Now, granted, I'm not going to say he's you know elite, you know top five, but I do think that he's up there in the top ten, uh, or or possibly could be, especially when he's given more opportunities if a guy like Jaleel Billingsley chooses to leave, or they can end up getting both of them back and they have a great combination of skill sets with the move tight end and the inline guy, and I think that could be good for Alabama's offense as well. But then. You know, some of the development of the other guys, Robbie Oots, um, I think he's done pretty well. And I think that he'll be ready to step up into a larger role if one of those two other guys chooses to leave. And so I think if you're Alabama, you have to feel pretty good about it. And they've they're, they're, they've brought in two top 10 tight ends in this class. And I think they're very high on both of them. So I think that Savoboda, I always struggle to say that name, but he Got it. has done a very good job. So that's going to do it for today's mailbag episode. We've were able to keep it under 40 minutes as long as I don't rant for five minutes getting out of this episode. But Jimmy, as always, I appreciate you hopping on here with me later today. I'll be recording the crossover podcast with dogs HQ uh, Palmer Tom's me and him are going to hop on and do another one. That's going to be interesting. Uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun too. So looking forward to that. That'll probably come out tomorrow and then going to get a national guest for Thursday. And then Jimmy and I will be back on together on Sunday, breaking down Alabama and Georgia and really diving into the weeds. And and so I'm looking forward to that. But Jimmy, as always, I appreciate you hopping on here with me, brother. Man, I, re- I love the mailbag. I love that the uh, listeners get to uh, participate. Uh, if you want your question answered, just send it to us on uh, on Twitter or on the On3 message board. Uh, uh, it's fun for us because, uh, because we get to include y'all in the show. Absolutely. It is what, by far, I know it's probably your favorite episode. It's definitely my favorite episode that we record pretty much every week. So keep those questions coming. All right. Once again, that's going to do it for this episode of the Bam on three show. I'm your host, Clint lamb. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can, I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.